This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Chip in Tampa, Florida, on March the 22nd, 2006. Moll Flanders by Daniel Defoe Section 8 I was now the most unhappy of all women in the world. Oh, had the story never been told me, had all been well. It had been no crime to have lain with my husband, since, as to his being my relation, I had known nothing of it. I had now such a load on my mind that it kept me perpetually waking. To reveal it, which would have been some ease to me, I could not find would be to any purpose, and yet to conceal it would be next to impossible. Nay, I did not doubt, but I should talk of it in my sleep, and tell my husband of it, whether I would or no. If I discovered it, the least thing I could expect was to lose my husband, for he was too nice and too honest a man to have continued my husband after he had known I had been his sister, so that I was perplexed to the last degree. I leave it to any man to judge what difficulties presented to my view. I was away from my native country, at a distance prodigious, and the return to me unpassable. I lived very well, but in a circumstance insufferable in itself. If I had discovered myself to my mother, it might have been difficult to convince her of the particulars, and I had no way to prove them. On the other hand, if she had questioned or doubted me, I had been undone, for the bare suggestion would have immediately separated me from my husband, without gaining my mother or him, who would have been neither a husband nor a brother, so that between the surprises on one hand and the uncertainty on the other, I had been sure to be undone. In the meantime, as I was but too sure of the fact, I lived, therefore, in open, avowed incest and whoredom, and under all the appearance of an honest wife. And though I was not much touched with the crime of it, yet the action had something in it shocking to nature, and made my husband, as he thought himself, even more nauseous to me. However, upon the most sedate consideration, I resolved that it was absolutely necessary to conceal it all, and not make the least discovery of it either to my mother or husband, and thus I lived with the greatest pressure imaginable for three years more, but had no more children. During this time my mother used to be frequently telling me old stories of her former adventures, which, however, were no ways pleasant to me, for by it, though she did not tell it me in plain terms, yet I could easily understand, joined with what I had heard myself of my first tutors, that in her younger days she had been both whore and thief, but I verily believed she had lived to repent sincerely of both, and that she was then a very pious, sober, and religious woman. Well, let her life have been what it would, then. It was certain that my life was very uneasy to me, for I lived, as I have said, but in the worst sort of whoredom, and, as I could expect no good of it, so really no good issue came of it, 
and all my seeming prosperity wore off and ended in misery and destruction. It was some time indeed before it came to this, for, but I know not by what ill fate guided, everything went wrong with us afterwards, and that which was worse, my husband grew strangely altered, forward, jealous, and unkind, and I was impatient of bearing his carriage, as the carriage was unreasonable and unjust. These things proceeded so far that we had come at last to be in such ill terms with one another that I claimed a promise of him, which he entered willingly into with me when I consented to come from England with him, viz., that if I found the country not to agree with me, or that I did not like to live there, I should come away to England again when I pleased, giving him a year's warning to settle his affairs. I say I now claimed this promise of him, and I must confess I did it not in the most obliging terms that could be in the world neither, but I insisted that he treated me ill, that I was remote from my friends, and could do myself no justice, and that he was jealous without cause, my conversation having been unblameable, and he having no pretense for it, and that to remove to England would take away all occasion from him. I insisted so peremptorily upon it that he could not avoid coming to a point, either to keep his word with me, or to break it, and this, notwithstanding, he used all the skill he was master of, and employed his mother and other agents to prevail with me, and to alter my resolutions. Indeed, the bottom of the thing lay at my heart, and that made all his endeavors fruitless, for my heart was alienated from him as a husband. I loathed the thoughts of bedding with him, and used a thousand pretenses of illness and humor to prevent his touching me, fearing nothing more than to be with child by him, which, to be sure, would have prevented, or at least delayed, my going over to England. However, at last I put him so out of humor that he took up a rash and fatal resolution. In short, I should not go to England and though he had promised me, yet it was an unreasonable thing for me to desire it, that it would be ruinous to his affairs, would unhinge his whole family, and be next to an undoing him in the world, that therefore I ought not to desire it of him, and that no wife in the world that valued her family and her husband's prosperity would insist upon such a thing. This plunged me again, for when I considered the thing calmly, and took my husband as he really was, a diligent, careful man, in the main work of laying up an estate for his children, and that he knew nothing of the dreadful circumstances that he was in, I could not but confess to myself that my proposal was very unreasonable, and that no wife that had the good of her family at heart would have desired but my discontents were of another nature. I looked upon him no longer as a husband, but as a near relation, the son of my own mother, and I resolved somehow or other to be clear of him, but which way I did not know, nor did it seem possible. It is said by the ill-natured world of our sex that if we are set on a thing, it is impossible to turn us from our resolutions. 
In short, I am never ceased poring upon the means to bring to pass my voyage, and came that length with my husband at last, as to propose going without him. This provoked him to the last degree, and he called me not only an unkind wife, but an unnatural mother, and asked me how I could entertain such a thought without horror as that of leaving my two children, for one was dead, without a mother, and to be brought up by strangers, and never to see them more. It was true, had things been right, I should not have done it, but now it was my real desire never to see them or him either any more, and as to the charge of unnatural, I could easily answer it to myself, while I knew that the whole relation was unnatural in the highest degree in the world. However, it was plain that there was no bringing my husband to anything. He would neither go with me, nor let me go without him, and it was quite out of my power to stir without his consent, as any one that knows the constitution of the country I was in knows very well. We had many family quarrels about it, and they began in time to grow up to a dangerous height, for as I was quite estranged from my husband, as he was called, in affection, so I took no heed to my words, but sometimes gave him language that was provoking, and, in short, strove all I could to bring him to a parting with me, which was what above all things in the world I desired most. He took my carriage very ill, and, indeed, might well do so, for at last I refused to bed with him, and, carrying on the breach upon all occasions to extremity, he told me once he thought I was mad, and if I did not alter my conduct, he would put me under cure, that is to say, into a madhouse. I told him he should find I was far enough from mad, and that it was not within his power or any other villains to murder me. I confess at the time I was heartily frightened at his thoughts of putting me into a madhouse, which would at once have destroyed all the possibility of breaking the truth out, whatever the occasion might be, for that then no one would have given credit to a word of it. This, therefore, brought me to a resolution, whatever came of it, to lay open my whole case, but which way to do it, or to whom, was an inextricable difficulty, and took me many months to resolve. In the meantime, another quarrel with my husband happened, which came up to such a mad extreme as almost pushed me on to tell it him all to his face, but, though I kept it in so as not to come to the particulars, I spoke so much as put him into the utmost confusion, and in the end brought out the whole story. He began with a calm expostulation upon my being so resolute to go to England. I defended it, and one hard word bringing on another, as is usual in all family strife, he told me I did not treat him as if he were my husband, or talk of my children as if I were a mother, and, in short, that I did not deserve to be used as a wife that he had used all the fair means possible with me, that he had argued with all the kindnesses and calmness that a husband or a Christian ought to do, and 
that I made him such a vile return, that I treated him rather like a dog than a man, and rather like the most contemptible stranger than a husband, that he was very loath to use violence with me, but that, in short, he saw a necessity of it now, and that for the future he should be obliged to take such measures as should reduce me to my duty. My blood was now fired to the utmost. Though I knew that what he said was very true, and nothing could appear more provoked, I told him for his fair means and his foul, they were equally contemned by me, that for my going to England I was resolved on it come what would, and that as to treating him not like a husband, and not showing myself a mother to my children, there might be something more in it than he understood at present, but— for his further consideration, I thought fit to tell him thus much, that he was neither my lawful husband, nor they lawful children, and that I had reason to regard neither of them more than I did. I confess I was moved to pity him when I spoke it, for he turned pale as death, and stood mute as one thunderstruck, and once or twice I thought he would have fainted. In short, it put him in a fit, something like an apoplex. He trembled, a sweat or dew ran off his face, and yet he was cold as a clod, so that I was forced to run and fetch something for him to keep life in him. When he recovered of that, he grew sick and vomited, and in a little after was put to bed, and the next morning was, as he had been indeed all night, in a violent fever. However, it went off again, and he recovered, though but slowly, and when he came to be a little better he told me I had given him a mortal wound with my tongue, and he had only one thing to ask before he desired an explanation. I interrupted him, and told him I was sorry I had gone so far, since I saw what disorder it had put him into, but I desired him not to talk to me of explanations, for that would but make things worse. This heightened his impatience, and indeed perplexed him beyond all bearing, for now he began to suspect that there was some mystery yet unfolded, but could not make the least guess at the real particulars of it. All that ran in his brain was that I had another husband alive, which I could not say, in fact, might not be true. But I assured him, however, that there was not the least of that in it, and, indeed, as to my other husband, he was effectually dead in law to me, and had told me I should look on him as such, so I had not the least uneasiness on that score. But now— I felt the thing too far gone to conceal it much longer, and my husband himself gave me an opportunity to ease myself of the secret, much to my satisfaction. He had labored with me three or four weeks, but to no purpose, only to tell him whether I had spoken these words only as the effect of my passion, to put him in a passion, or whether there was anything of truth in the bottom of them. But I continued inflexible, and would explain nothing, unless he would first consent to my going to England, which he would never do, he said, while he lived. On the other hand, I said it was in my power to make him willing when I pleased, nay, to make him entreat me to go, and this increased his curiosity, and 
made him importunate to the highest degree, but it was all to no purpose. At length he tells all this story to his mother, and sets her upon me to get the main secret out of me, and she used her utmost skill with me indeed, but I put her to a full stop at once by telling her that the reason and mystery of the whole matter lay in herself, and that it was my respect to her that had made me conceal it, and that, in short, I could go no farther, and therefore conjured her not to insist upon it. She was struck dumb at this suggestion, and could not tell what to say or to think, but, laying aside the supposition as a policy of mine, continued her importunity on account of her son, and, if possible, to make up the breach between us two. As to that, I told her, it was indeed a good design in her, but that it was impossible to be done, and that if I should reveal to her the truth of what she desired, she would grant it to be impossible, and cease to desire it. At least I seemed to be prevailed upon by her importunity, and I told her I dared trust her with a secret of the greatest importance, and she would soon see this was so, and why I would consent to lodge it in her breast, if she would engage solemnly not to acquaint her son with it without my consent. She was long in promising this part. But rather than not come at the main secret, she agreed to that too, and after a great many other preliminaries I began, and told her the whole story. First I told her how much she was concerned in all the unhappy breach which had happened between her son and me by telling me her own story and her London name, and that the surprise she saw I was in was upon that occasion. Then I told her my own story and my name, and assured her by such other tokens as she could not deny that I was no other nor more nor less than her own child, her daughter born of her body in Newgate, the same that had saved her from the gallows by being in her belly, and the same that she left in such and such hands when she was transported. It is impossible to express the astonishment she was in. She was not inclined to believe the story, or to remember the particulars, for she immediately foresaw the confusion that must follow in the family upon it. But everything concurred so exactly with the stories she had told me of herself, and which, if she had not told me, she would perhaps have been content to have denied, that she had stopped her own mouth, and she had nothing to do but to take me about the neck and kiss me and cry most vehemently over me, without speaking one word for a long time together. At last she broke out, Unhappy child, says she, what miserable chance could bring thee hither, and in the arms of my own son, too dreadful girl, said she, why, we are all undone, married to thine own brother. Three children, and two alive, all of the same flesh and blood. My son and my daughter lying together as husband and wife, all confusion and distraction, forever miserable family. What will become of us? What is to be said? What is to be done? And thus she ran on for a great while, 
nor had I any power to speak, or, if I had, I did not know what to say, for every word wounded me to the soul. With this kind of amazement on our thoughts we parted for the first time, though my mother was more surprised than I was, because it was more news to her than to me. However, she promised again to me at the parting that she would say nothing of it to her son, till we had talked of it again. It was not long, you may be sure, before we had a second conference upon the same subject, when, as if she had been willing to forget the story she had told me of herself, or to suppose that I had forgot some of the particulars, she began to tell them with alterations and omissions, but I refreshed her memory and set her to rights in many things, which I supposed she had forgot, and then came in so opportunely with the whole history that it was impossible for her to go from it. And then she fell into her rhapsodies again, and exclamations at the severity of her misfortunes. When these things were a little over with her, we fell into a close debate about what should be first done before we gave an account of the matter to my husband. But to what purpose could be all our consultations? We could neither of us see our way through it, nor see how it could be safe to open such a scene to him. It was impossible to make any judgment, or to give any guess at what temper he would receive it in, or what measures he would take upon it, and if he should have so little government of himself as to make it public, we easily foresaw that it would be the ruin of the whole family, and expose my mother and me to the last degree, and if at last he should take the advantage that the law would give him, he might put me away with disdain, and leave me to sue for the little portion that I had, and perhaps waste it all in the suit, and then be a beggar. The children would be ruined, too, having no legal claim to any of his effects, and thus I should see him, perhaps, in the arms of another wife in a few months, and be myself the most miserable creature alive. My mother was as sensible of this as I, and, upon the whole, we knew not what to do. After some time we came to more sober resolutions, but then it was with this misfortune, too, that my mother's opinion and mine were quite different from one another, and, indeed, inconsistent with one another, for my mother's opinion was that I should bury the whole thing entirely, and continue to live with him as my husband, till some other event should make the discovery of it more convenient, and that in the meantime she would endeavour to reconcile us together again, and restore our mutual comfort and family peace, that we might lie as we used to do together, and so let the whole matter remain a secret as close as death. For, child, said she, we are both undone if it comes out. To encourage me to this, she promised to make me easy in my circumstances as far as she was able, and to leave me what she could at her death, secured for me separately from my husband, so that if it should come out afterwards I should not be left destitute, but be able to stand on my own feet and procure justice from him. The proposal did not agree at all with my judgment of the thing, though it was very fair and kind in my mother, 
but my thoughts ran quite another way. As to keeping the thing in our breasts, and letting it all remain as it was, I told her it was impossible, and I asked her how she could think I could bear the thoughts of lying next to my own brother. In the next place I told her that her being alive was the only support of the discovery, and that while she owned me for the child, and saw reason to be satisfied that I was so, nobody else would doubt it, and that if she should die before the discovery, I should be taken for an impudent creature that had forged such a thing to go away from my husband, or should be counted crazed and distracted. Then I told her how he had threatened already to put me into a madhouse, and what concern I had been in about it, and how that was the thing that drove me to the necessity of discovering it to her, as I had done. From all which I told her I had, on the most serious reflections I was able to make in the case, come to this resolution, which I hoped she would like, as a medium between both, viz., that she should use her endeavours with her son to give me leave to go to England, as I had desired, and to furnish me with a sufficient sum of money, either in goods along with me, or in bills for my support there, all along suggesting that he might one time or other think it proper to come over to me. That when I was gone she should then, in cold blood, and after first obliging him in the solemnest manner possible to secrecy, discover the case to him, doing it gradually, and as her own discretion should guide her, so that he might not be surprised with it, and fly out into any passions and excesses, on my account or on hers, and that she should concern herself to prevent his slighting the children, or marrying again, unless he had a certain account of my being dead. This was my scheme, and my reasons were good. I was really alienated from him in all consequences of these things. Indeed, I mortally hated him as a husband, and it was impossible to remove that riveted aversion I had to him. At the same time, it being unlawful incestuous living, added to that aversion, and, though I had no great concern about it, in a point of conscience, yet everything added to make cohabiting with him the most nauseous thing to me in the world, and I think verily it was to come to such a height that I could almost willingly have embraced a dog as have let him offer anything of that kind to me, for which reason I could not bear the thoughts of coming between the sheets with him. I cannot say that I was right in point of policy in carrying it at such a length, while at the same time I did not resolve to discover the thing to him, but I am giving an account of what was, not of what ought or ought not to be. In their directly opposite opinion to one another, my mother and I continued a long time, and it was impossible to reconcile our judgments. Many disputes we had about it, but we could never either of us yield our own or bring over the other. I insisted on my aversion to lying with my own brother, and she insisted upon its being impossible to bring him to consent to my going from him to England and in this uncertainty we continued, not differing so as to quarrel or anything like it, but 
so as not to be able to resolve what we should do to make up that terrible breach that was before us. At last I resolved on a desperate course, and told my mother of my resolution, viz. that, in short, I would tell him of it myself. My mother was frightened to the last degree at the very thoughts of it, but I bid her be easy. I told her I would do it gradually and softly, and with all the art of good humor I was mistress of, and time it also as well as I could, taking him in good humor too. I told her I did not question, but if I could be hypocrite enough to feign more affection to him than I really had, I should succeed in all my design, and we might part by consent, and with a good agreement, for I might love him well enough for a brother, though I could not for a husband. All this while he lay at my mother to find out, if possible, what was the meaning of that dreadful expression of mine, as he called it, which I had mentioned before, namely that I was not his lawful wife, nor my children his legal children. My mother put him off, told him that she could bring me to no explanations, but found there was something that disturbed me very much, and that she hoped she could get it out of me in time, and that in the meantime she recommended to him earnestly to use me more tenderly, and win me with his usual good carriage. I told him of his terrifying and affrighting me with his threats of sending me to a madhouse and the like, and advised him not to make a woman desperate on any count whatsoever. He promised her to soften his behavior, and bid her assure me that he loved me as well as ever, and that he had no such design as that of sending me to a madhouse, whatever he might say in his passion. Also, he desired my mother to use the same persuasions on me, too, that our affections might be renewed, and we might lie together in a good understanding, as we used to do. I found the effects of this treaty presently. My husband's conduct was immediately altered, and he was quite another man to me. Nothing could be kinder and more obliging than he was to me upon all occasions, and I could do no less than make some return for it, which I did as well as I could, but it was in an awkward manner at best, for nothing was more frightful to me than his caresses, and the apprehensions of being with child again by him was ready to throw me into fits, and this made me see that there was an absolute necessity of breaking the case to him without any more delay, which, however, I did with all the caution and reserve imaginable. He had continued his altered carriage to me near a month, and we began to live a new kind of life with one another. And could I have satisfied myself to have gone on with it, I believe I might have continued as long as we had continued alive together. One evening, as we were sitting and talking very friendly together under a little awning which served as an arbor at the entrance from our house into the garden, 
he was in a very pleasant, agreeable humor, and said abundance of kind things to me relating to the pleasure of our present good agreement, and the disorders of our past breach, and what a satisfaction it was to him that we had room to hope that we should never have any more of it. I fetched a deep sigh, and told him there was nobody in the world could be more delighted than I was in the good agreement we had always kept up, or the more afflicted with the breach of it, and should be so still. But I was sorry to tell him that there was an unhappy circumstance in our case which lay too close to my heart, and which I knew not how to break to him that rendered my part of it very miserable, and took me from all the comfort of the rest. He importuned me to tell him what it was. I told him I could not tell how to do it, but while it was concealed from him I alone was unhappy, but that if he knew it also we should both be so, and that therefore to keep him in the dark about it was the kindest thing that I could do, and it was on that count alone that I kept a secret from him, the very keeping of which I thought would first or last be my destruction. It is impossible to express his surprise at this relation, and at the double importunity which he used with me to discover it to him. He told me I could not be called kind to him, nay, I could not be faithful to him if I concealed it from him. I told him I thought so too, and yet I could not do it. He went back to what I had said before to him, and told me he hoped it did not relate to what I had said in my passion, and that he had resolved to forget all of that as the effect of a rash, provoked spirit. I told him I wished I could forget it all too, but that it was not to be done. The impression was too deep, and I could not do it. It was impossible. He then told me he was resolved not to differ with me in anything, and that therefore he would importune me no more about it, resolving to acquiesce in whatever I did or said, only begged that I should then agree that whatever it was, it should no more interrupt our quiet and our mutual kindness. This was the most provoking thing he could have said to me, for I really wanted his further importunities, that I might be prevailed with to bring out what indeed it was like death to me to conceal. So I answered him plainly, that I could not say I was glad not to be importuned, thought I could not tell how to comply. "'But come, my dear,' said I, what conditions will you make with me upon the opening of this affair to you? Any conditions in the world, said he, that you can in reason desire of me. Well, said I, come give it me under your hand, that if you do not find I am in any fault, or that I am willingly concerned in the causes of the misfortune that is to follow, you will not blame me, use me worse, or do me any injury, or make me be the sufferer for what is not my fault. That, says he, is the most reasonable demand in the world. Not to blame you for what is not your fault, give me pen and ink, he said. So I ran in and fetched pen, ink, and paper, and he wrote the condition down in the very words I proposed it, 
and signed it with his name. Well, says he, what is next, my dear? Why, says I, the next is that you will not blame me for not discovering the secret of it to you before I knew it. Very just again, says he, with all my heart, so he wrote down that also, and signed it. Well, my dear, said I, then I have but one condition more to make with you, and that is that there is nobody concerned in it but you and I. You shall not discover it to any other person in the world except your own mother, and that in all the measures you shall take upon the discovery, as I am equally concerned in it with you, though as innocent as yourself, you shall do nothing in passion, nothing to my prejudice or your mother's prejudice, without my knowledge and consent. This a little amazed him, and he wrote down the words distinctly, but read them over and over before he signed them, hesitating at them several times and repeating them. My mother's prejudice? And your prejudice? What mysterious thing can this be? However, he at last signed it. Well, says I, my dear, I'll ask you no more under your hand, but as you are to bear the most unexpected and surprising thing that perhaps ever befell any family in the world, I beg you to promise me you will receive it with composure and a presence of mind suitable to a man of sense. I'll do my utmost, says he, upon condition you will keep me no longer in suspense, for you terrify me with all these preliminaries. Well, then, says I, it is this. As I told you before, in a heat, that I was not your lawful wife, and that our children are not legal children, so I must tell you now, in calmness and in kindness, but with affection enough, that I am your own sister, and that you, my own brother, and that we are both the children of our mother, now alive, and in the house, who is convinced of the truth of it, in a manner not to be denied or contradicted. I saw him turn pale, and look wild, and I said, Now remember your promise, and receive it with presence of mind, for who could have said more to prepare you for it than I have done? However, I called a servant and got him a little glass of rum, which is the usual dram of that country, for he was just fainting away. When he was a little recovered, I said to him, This story, you may be sure, requires a long explanation, and therefore have patience and compose your mind to hear it out, and I'll make it as short as I can. And with this I told him what I thought was needful of the fact, and particularly how my mother came to discover it to me as above. And now, my dear, says I, you will see the reason for my capitulations, and that I neither have been the cause of this matter, nor could be so, and that I could know nothing of it before now. I am fully satisfied of that, says he. But tis a dreadful surprise to me. 
However, I know a remedy for it all, and a remedy that shall put an end to your difficulties without your going to England. That would be strange, as I, as all the rest. No, no, said he, I'll make it easy. There's nobody in the way of it but myself. He looked a little disordered when he said this, but I did not apprehend anything from it at the time, believing, as it used to be said, that they who do those things never talk of them, or they who talk of such things never do them. But things were not come to their height with him, and I observed he became passive and melancholy, and in a word, as I thought, a little distempered in his head. I endeavored to talk him into a temper, and to reason him into a kind of scheme for our government in the affair, and sometimes he would be well, and talk with some courage about it. But the weight of it lay too heavy upon his thoughts, and, in short, it went so far that he made attempts upon himself, and in one of them had actually strangled himself, and had not his mother come into the room in the very moment he had died, but, with the help of a negro servant, she cut him down and recovered him. Things were now come to a lamentable height in the family. My pity for him now began to revive that affection which, at first, I really had for him, and I endeavored sincerely by all the kind carriage I could to make up the breach, but, in short, it had gotten too great a head. It preyed upon his spirits, and it threw him into a long, lingering consumption, though it happened not to be mortal. In the distress I did not know what to do, as his life was apparently declining, and I might perhaps have married again there very much to my advantage. It had been certainly my business to have stayed in the country, but my mind was restless too, and uneasy. I hankered after coming to England, and nothing would satisfy me without it. In short, by an unwearied importunity, my husband, who was apparently decaying, as I observed, was at last prevailed with, and so my own fate pushing me on the way was made clear for me, and my mother concurring, I obtained a very good cargo for my coming to England. So ends section 8.